Welcome to the Leadership 360 podcast, where we interview real people with real stories about all aspects of leadership. I'm your host, Chris Moore, and thank you for joining us today. So welcome to episode six and to our guest, Ashley Cassavant. Ashley is an engaged and innovative leader who has always had a deep interest in advancing the public good. Recently leaving her long-standing career in the public service, where she was most recently the Director of Data and Digital for the Government of Canada, she's now taken on the role of Executive Director of AI Global, a non-profit dedicated to creating practical tools to ensure the responsible use of artificial intelligence. Throughout her career, she has worked at the intersection of innovative technology and data, and its impact on providing better information and services. Ashley, welcome to the Leadership 360 podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be connected to you again. My first question before we get into uh, questions about leadership is, what is global AI and, and you know, what is responsible artificial intelligence? Um, So AI Global is a nonprofit that was founded about two and a half years ago um, by Manoj Saxena and Kayforth Butterfield and a few other uh, both thought leaders and practitioners in the AI space. And uh, what they realized when working through a lot of uh, these different aspects of AI and coming up with new technologies was that it was really pertinent to be able to do these things in a way that um, we were thinking about human rights and ethics and how we apply those to technology. So um, that work um, really resonated with me as we were doing that, uh, taking that approach within the government of Canada, uh, where we were the first national government to create a directive or a policy on the responsible use of AI, um, the directive on automated decision-making systems. And so one of the things that I realized was uh, government always isn't the right place um, to do public service work, or it's not the only place to do it. And um, in this circumstance, AI and the advancement of uh, technology and how it's being applied to services um, seems to be happening a lot quicker um, in industry than it is in terms of how government's addressing how they regulate it. Um, so it's a really interse- interesting intersection to be at um, because a nonprofit gives you the ability to bring together multiple different stakeholders um, from other civil society organizations, academia, um, and then government and industry to be able to address these big overarching questions. So uh, at AI Global, what we're interested in doing is not only defining what responsible AI is, um, so I'll come to that question in a second, uh, but then um, thinking about how we can apply appropriate governance to it. So there's lots of different uh, nonprofits and other types of think tanks that have been looking and trying to address this challenge, not only, again, defining what it means to be responsible or ethical in using different types of tools and technology, including AI, um, but then also, um, but a lot of that different type of work um, is not necessarily uh, helpful for a practitioner on a day-to-day basis. And so one of the things that I've always been really interested in is how do you create policies or tools that actually apply to um, apply to a practitioner that's going to be using them. And so that's uh, something that has stayed with me from our time at the city of Edmonton. And uh, we did with that directive on automated decision-making systems. And so now I'm just scaling that in this sense. 
in terms of what responsible AI means, uh, we define it in terms of looking at the explainability and interpretability of the system, um, looking at the transparency component and aspects. So uh, tying in how I I did a lot of work from uh, open data and open government perspective in terms of uh, do you know how that model is functioning and then looking at um, at least raising some of those ethical challenges so something like are you going to uh, or are you going to design the system in a way that's protecting the public um, or ensuring that there is going to be a reduction of harm for people. So those are the different types of uh, aspects of responsible. It's definitely not limited to those. A lot of people are concerned about the privacy components. Um, so bringing all of those together um, and looking at it from a, a governance perspective is what we're doing at AI Global. I know a lot of people are, you know, people have questions about artificial intelligence and people have, you know, fears and uncertainty. But um, from my perspective, knowing that you are involved in leading this organization and kind of leading the way gives me some hope that it's going to be, you know, thoughtful and, and real and, and work for the humans, right? It's, it, it's it, you know, it's not about, I'm sure you hear this all the time, you know, it's not about Terminator and the computers taking over the world, right? It, it, it needs to make sense for, for humanity. So that sounds like uh, yes. awesome work. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks. So from a leadership yeah. perspective, um, and, you know, thinking about attributes of a great leader, what would you say some of those attributes are? So I, since you asked me to do this, I've been thinking quite a bit about leadership and how it's something that I hadn't actually thought about a ton before, uh, because I think it's uh, something that I've always just drawn to, I've been drawn to working with certain types of people because of the different types of skills that they have. Um, so I don't have a really succinct list, but uh, <laughs> what I do, what I did recognize were patterns in, in leaders and people that I'm drawn to are people that are able to take a whole bunch of different um, pieces or aspects of wisdom or perspectives and bring them all together and apply them tangibly to a topic. And so I think that um, having somebody that is able to create um, inferences and, and new knowledge out of existing knowledge is, is one important attribute for me. Um, somebody that has patience because often who they're trying to lead might not necessarily be um, at the at the same level of knowledge or awareness or competency that they have. Um, somebody who is open-minded, uh, recognizing that as a leader, you don't know everything and you still have a lot right. to learn from other people. And uh, I would say willingness to, uh, on that point, willingness to then learn and incorporate those skills back in. Um, and then last but not least, I would say uh, knowing when to display strength. And so having leadership doesn't always mean being the power person at the front of a room and uh, always being the loudest person in the room. Awesome. I love your approach in terms of patterns that you've observed <laughs> in yourself and the people you've worked with. That's, uh, that's very unique. And that's why I love doing this podcast. It's just an opportunity for people to kind of tell their story, right? So you're talking a bit about learning. Um, so what have you learned from from great leaders? Oh, <laughs> so many things. Um, I think it's 
And I would say that often I'm not necessarily, I think I learn a lot from people in general and not necessarily people we would think are good leaders sure. um, in that more conventional sense. And so I would say that, especially on that last piece of knowing when to display strength, um, learning that patience for myself has been really difficult. And mm. so knowing how to um, harness that impatience um, that I can have, it has been something that I've learned uh, over time. And I think spending time with people who um, are more introverted than extroverted um, has really helped me to do that. And then also um, I've learned uh, that it's okay to push back, but to push back in a respectful way. Hmm, and so, but that takes a lot of confidence in yourself in order to be comfortable uh, with doing that in various different situations. So I think that by observing different types of people, uh, both conventional and unconventional leaders, I've, I've learned or picked up those skills. Well, that's great. Good, uh, good advice for anybody, really. And you're talking a bit about you know, things that you've learned from others, but what have you learned about yourself lately? What are some of those aha uh, you know, moments about uh, things that you do or you know, how you show up? <laughs> um, I think, uh, again, along the same sorts of lines around um, I've, my lack of patience and um, part of the reason I guess I wanted to leave government was the pace. And I don't mean that in a things are slow, but recognizing that it's a, a big machine and it takes a lot of time in order right. to make certain types of structural and social changes. Uh, I recognize and respect that. And so then learning and reflecting a lot on whether or not that's a good fit for you um, is something that has recently, as this is five months into my new job, mm -hmm. uh, been something that I've had to address quite head on. So. No, that's great. The, um, you know, the interesting thing about when you learn things about yourself, and I know that you kind of observe yourself and, you know, how you show up to other people and that, but the, the tricky thing is to, you know, to see those things and then to choose to apply them because you could choose yeah. not to, right? Um, but, uh, you know, good for you and, and uh, you know, pursuing the things that, that you enjoy doing and that you're passionate about, but also keeping an open mind about knowing that you don't have it all figured out, right? So okay. what, um, you know, what would you tell your younger self? I could, I could imagine, you know, be more patient and some of those things, but, you know, what would, uh, what does, what should the younger Ashley, you know, like to hear from the older one? I think um, knowing what to care about and when to care about it um, is something that I think is another kind of observation from good leadership practices that I've seen. Um, sometimes I've been in meetings where, and I'll ask my boss after, why did you not address this, this situation? Or uh, <laughs> this seems like a prime opportunity to do that. And their explanations have always been um, because it wasn't the right time to do it or the right people weren't in the room. And so then it's not necessarily uh, worthwhile to raise that because they want to be able to set the context for it. And so I think all of these, these different types of things um, in terms of where and how you spend your energy and 
and who you bring on board to do that work with. Um, whether again, it's personal or professional, I'm talking about it in a professional, professional context in the circumstance. Um, but that's something that I've definitely, uh, I've learned and I would definitely tell my younger self. Um, that's, that, I think that's, that's really, really key for me. Um, the other thing is knowing when to stand up for yourself and knowing when um, you should speak up. So I think that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. One is not kind of being overzealous and the other one is having that confidence. Um, and also, I guess, as a person that's uh, had the um, capacity to be in a leadership position, um, that comes with, that opportunity comes also with, I think, a bit of a challenge that you need to give that space to other people too. Right. And I think giving that floor and room to more people is something that I try and practice uh, more and more. Right. Excellent. So one of the things that I ran into a fair bit in my public sector career, I, I used to call it fear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, you see, like you're saying, you, you know, you ask the person, well, why didn't you take that action or why didn't you bring that up? And sometimes I would wonder, you know, are people just afraid? Are they are they afraid to have that conversation or make that decision? And then, you know, a few years after that, um, somebody pointed out to me that fear was kind of a negative word. So I flipped it around and started to focus on courage. Um, so, you know, what what have you seen in, uh, you know, in, in your work and what are some of the observations around courage? You know, how, how, how do you have courage and how do you deal with fear? Are they competing elements, two sides of the same coin? You know, are you trying to chase fear away? I've, I've kind of heard all the perspectives, but I'd love to, to know what you think about it. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, um, I feel like I don't think enough. I should probably do that more. I just do things. <laughs> and doing then things, after doing like, things is great. Yeah, that's it. Or, or that required a lot of courage and confidence. Yeah. Um, but I, actually, I think that's a, a point on its own is is not to overthink. And and one of the things back to, I guess I should have made a list of, of stuff I've learned, but because it's, it's endless, but um, back to the, and I like how you always phrase this, show up and present yourself to other people. It's important to be cognizant of it, but it's also important, I think, to just act and do. So from that perspective, um, I... I don't know that I would, um, or I have a clear answer on that dichotomy of fear or courage. I would say that um, it takes a lot of courage to be able to ask people questions and um, not feel stupid in doing that sometimes. Mm, sure, yeah. You should know the answer to something. Um, so I think that by trying to eliminate or reduce that fear as much as possible is uh, is super helpful. That said, one of the things I'd like to add to that is that, to my point that I was making before, is that leadership can show up in a whole bunch of different ways or maybe a good quality in a leader is that it's not necessarily that you're learning from different leaders, but you're just learning from different people in how you incorporate uh, those aspects. So in um, with AI Global, I've had the opportunity to work with um, several interns uh, and people from different universities that want to contribute to our work. And it's it's been a long time since I've worked with people uh, that aren't professors in right. university, but undergrads uh, for the most part. 
And what's been so fascinating about it for me is that, um, and this, as you said at the top, the world of responsible AI is, is confusing and complex and yeah, it's good to have smart people at the helm, but at the same time, like none of us have the answers and the fact that a lot of these students are just not afraid to ask questions is, has been a really great reminder for me that it's okay to not have all of those um, answers, but then also that you can take the time to um, discuss those. Like it opens up more of a dialogue than I think we um, always allow ourselves when we're hiding behind this veil of, of certainty. And so I think that that, whether it's fear or courage to step out and talk about those things or fear of not doing that, um, it's definitely a hindrance. So. I don't know that that answers your question, but it inspired me to tell you oh, for sure. <laughs> that piece of it. I think to me, th three of the strongest words are, I don't know. And yeah. if you can get to a point where you can say, I don't know, I just don't know. And realize that there's more that you don't know than you do know. And it takes, you know, a collective of people to figure things out. I used to always, you know, say when I was working in Edmonton, I'm just one person. I just have one mind and one set of experience. So how can we harness, you know, the energy of, of the collective? And, yeah. you know, you're talking, you know, we're talking about courage, courage and, and fear and that, but I think you also said, uh, you know, be curious, right. And, and the people that you're interacting with, some of the interns, they're, they're just curious, you know, they want to know and they want to ask. And so you, the, um, the veil, the reality is you can't you, you can't maintain the veil of knowing it all because people are smart they observe and they don't they know you don't know it all so yeah. um, you know so why not have that conversation and, and figure something out together yeah and I think that um, in terms of back to I'm not answering any of your questions in order I apologize but these attributes of a good leader I think what's super interesting about um, that that kind of veil of certainty is what made me question um, or what I guess question um, this brought to my mind after experiencing these interns was what what kind of um, world or uh, professions have we professional kind of constructs have we created that has produced people that are too afraid to ask those questions and how do we break those down um, because I think that sure it's, there could be, we need efficiency in work, uh, in the workplace. Um, but how do you balance that with kind of a more unharnessed and comfortable and acceptable place? And I know you try to address a lot of these things um, from a culture perspective in Edmonton. Um, so I know that you think about this a lot too, but mm -hmm. it's um, maybe just even a good way to address that is is to have people from different backgrounds of different ages uh, with different degrees of experience coming together to kind of remind you regularly that you don't need to stay in that construct. And even though there might have been something that produced that fear that was real, um, so I don't want to take away from the fact that um, there's a reason why those constructs are in place, that we should just be questioning those things. No, absolutely. And, you know, don't worry about answering the questions in order because I just, you know, you know, these podcasts for me are just a conversation, right? And yeah. and it's not about, you know, getting through all the questions or doing it in a period of time. It's, you know, let's just, let's just talk, right? So thank you. And um, 
my next question, yeah. <laughs> last question. So what leadership advice would you give people listening to the podcast? You know, you've been a lot of great advice, but you know, how, how would you sum it up? So, um, after I, I took a leave of absence from the city of Edmonton to come pursue work at the federal government, um, I had the opportunity to either go back to Edmonton, stay for the federal government, go to private sector. I had a few options and that was the first point in my life where I realized these are all great options. And so it was the thing that, or it was the first point in my life that I realized and started to actually make a physical list of what makes me the most happy because mm. now I have a, a plethora of options. How do you evaluate for yourself? Uh, which one of those things are best. And I I think two things have come out of that for me that have been consistent because that's now uh, four years ago. That's crazy how time has flown by. But um, one that's stayed as a rubric for me. And it's been interesting um, because I've given that advice to other people and I've shared my rubric with them just as inspiration, but they can obviously do with it what they want and make their own personal version of it. Um, and then also I want to recognize that I have, I'm so lucky and privileged to have these options that I want to make the most and maximize that. And so um, really coming back to what is my intent when I am uh, I, in this land of possibilities and opportunities. Um, and so that I think on its own gives me that confidence that I need to be able to have those hard conversations and have those difficult questions and stand up um, when I might not have always have the courage to do so. So all of that leads down to, cause I didn't want to just say, just do what makes you happy. Right. That's really the context for do pursue um, happiness or whatever your North star is. Um, but in a way that is is meaningful and for me measurable i like data so sure. um ways to evaluate that um that you can kind of that you you know what you want and you can um and find a way to actually maximize that that's fantastic advice and you know for anybody no matter what position they're in and if they're at you know a kind of a crossroads of opportunities you need to pursue things that make you happy give you the fulfillment that you need. I mean, there's so many people who are in jobs that, you know, they have that Sunday night before they go to work, you know, anxiety. And it really, it doesn't, it shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. And, and it, you know, it can be a different way. So, yeah. so and thank you for being responsible for, you know, with <laughs> the time that you've been given and, you know, the choices that you've been given, but also to pursue things that create that fulfillment, but you're also making a contribution to, right? Yeah. I'm trying. It's, it's always a work in progress though, all of these things. And one of the, that's why I guess I mentioned um, the age and different perspectives is that I've found that whether or not you uh, are at a point in your life where you're married and you have kids or grandkids, or you're just starting university, there's kind of always these decision points. And I kind of always thought, oh, well, like in a few years, I'll have these things figured out. Or when I get to the next level, like <laughs> the, <laughs> I'll understand how the puppet behind the curtains works, but right. nobody knows. Like right. you just do your best and 
be a good person and again, whatever that means to you. And so I, and be cautious and careful of the people around you um, so that they're allowed to also have that autonomy and ability to, to be happy and pursue what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Pink talks about it being mastery, autonomy and purpose, right? And, Mm -hmm. and that's what people are looking for. So it sounds like you've got that. And you've shared a lot of great insight with us today. So thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me and thanks for doing this. Awesome. This has been Leadership 360 with my guest, Ashley Casavan. Join me again for more inspiring stories about leadership from real people. The Leadership 360 podcast is sponsored by The Leadership Academy, your trusted partner in leadership development from coaching to consulting and on-site facilitation. Please visit our website, theleadershipacademy.ca.